0: Hello, welcome to the Promotion Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Josh Wells. And today we're gonna continue this conversation about firefighter fitness. We're continuing to expand this framework called the Capacity Pyramid. And the goal is to optimize your health, your energy, your power, your capacity going into your assessment center so that you can show up and you can have energy and vitality, you can um, have the endurance to study and to train and not get taken out by by poor health or lack of energy or any of the other ailments that, that can come up and take you out. So we've been doing this fitness series for a few weeks and it's going to continue for a few more episodes and then likely we're going to transition back to specifics for your promotional test success. If you look back at previous episodes, most of the focus uh, all the focus of this podcast is to help develop you to succeed with a promotional test. In the fire service or public safety or whatever job or promotion you're trying to get, there's tons of strategies and tools and skills that are designed to help you develop into uh, into the next level in your career. If you develop in the next level of your career and you don't have your health, then it's not... Uh, it's not that great. So your health is your greatest wealth. And that's that's why we're doing this series on firefighter fitness. Today, we're going to expand and we're going to talk about the importance of adequate hydration. And so we're talking about this framework of the capacity pyramid. And there's five life forces that are part of this pyramid or part of this framework. The first life force is that of light. And that isn't actually in the pyramid. It's on the outside. and it. And it it's the importance of good light patterns and also optimizing the use of hot and cold into your daily routines. Now, next, we talked about air. So, going into the pyramid, the base of the pyramid is air with the emphasis on breath work, it is extremely important to have uh, to train your breath and be aware of your breathing patterns because they're going to impact your energy and your health and your vitality quite possibly more than anything else. Uh, that you could do. Next, now we're going to talk about hydration and the importance of water. And then the future, the future weeks we're going to talk about, uh, or the next couple episodes. So the pyramid is uh, the five life forces. Is we have light, and then the pyramid represents your body. So we have air, water, fuel, and function. Next episode, we'll talk about fuel and nutrition, and then function is all about functional movement. So that if you can, uh, you know, if you can bench press 500 pounds, but you can't do a squat with good form, then you're at risk for injury and you, you're you setting yourself up for problems. So anyway, so today we're going to talk about water and uh, the importance of hydration and water. I'm going to start by by telling you a story that's going to kind of tie in this whole theme. And then the takeaway from this is that I'm going to give you some books you may want to consider about this topic, some resources to look into and then I've also there's these four pillars of this concept of hydration. So, um, the, so here we go. I'm going to share with you this, uh, you know how this concept kind of came to be, or or how this how I got this awareness of how important hydration is to your life. It's always something that being involved with with um, athletics in the past, me, me playing football in the past. And rugby and snowboarding and, and always having an active lifestyle is just hydration is one of those things that that is very integrated I think for most of us in the fire service because through our fire academy they've it, it's an important thing to keep up on your hydration um, so I was a I was a new paramedic go back a few years and I've been practicing as a paramedic for a while um, I wanted to do well I wanted to help people and um in a lot of ways, I think I did the job. Uh, I did the job well. I followed the protocols. Um, you know, I understand the treatment modalities. I, I became a, a ACLS instructor, and I, I taught a ton of classes on CPR and the ACLS instructor. Um, not too long ago, I was involved with this program called CPR University, which was down at the University of Arizona, where we had the unique opportunity to train people from all around the world on this, this method of high performance CPR and throughout my career, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of is being able to help, um, progress this concept of CPR so that I've seen a lot more people that have survived from cardiac arrest, which historically wouldn't happen. So, uh, me being as a young paramedic, I had this desire to help and serve and do well and and make a difference for people. Um, and so what, um, my aunt who works on, uh, my aunt, so my wife, my wife is a nurse. She's been a nurse for over 20 years. And then my aunt on that side of the family, she's been a nurse for longer than that. She's, she's been a nurse, a nurse for a really long time. And this conversation around, um, you know, taking care of people and providing care and, uh, healthcare came up and she, she recommended this book that, that, um, really was a big paradigm shift for me, which, which led to a lot of insights. The name of that book is called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. It's, it, the author is a medical doctor, and he what he found out is that the majority of the patients that he was treating is that he had this theory that underlying all of their symptoms is actually uh, dehydration. So the subtitle of the book is that you're not sick you're thirsty, so don't treat your thirst with medication. And for me, that was a big paradigm shift because going through paramedic school, where you know we 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 learn these protocols, we learn certain treatment modalities, we learn anatomy and physiology. But a big piece of of going through paramedic school is memorizing and learning all these different medications. You got a problem like this, you throw medication at it. Uh, You got a problem like this, you do the medication and there's there's contraindications and there's there's all these effects and all these things that that we memorize in paramedic school. And then a few years after paramedic school, we got to reference our books to remember everything. But, uh, you know, that's how Western medicine is currently, is that there's two main modalities that Western medicine will, will use as their primary treatment of disease and injuries. Number one is medication. So your medical doctor, uh, me working as a paramedic, my wife working as a nurse, my aunt working as a nurse. Is that the, oftentimes the prime, a, a foundational modality is to treat disease and illness with medication. You have a disease. Here's the medication to try and fix it. The other modality would be that of surgery. So you, uh, if we can't fix it with medication, maybe we could fix it with surgery. And then in between that is. A lot of variation in terms of diagnostics and and some other treatments that can be considered, but drugs through the form of medications and surgery are the two primary modalities for treating people. So working as a paramedic, um, you know, I became familiar with the emergency medications that I could give to help people, and a lot of times those work really well. But there was there was this one incident that I'll share with you where the medicine wasn't working. So I had a I had a patient that I was treating. Um, we, we went to, we got called for, for chest discomfort and we showed up and there was this, this gentleman that was in his seventies and he appeared like he was doing okay. He didn't look terrible at the first onset, but then we got his vital signs and he was in this rhythm called ventricular tachycardia, which can be, uh, you know, can be fatal if gone unchecked because the heart is not working the way it's supposed to the, the, the main pump of the heart, the ventricles are doing all the work. And they're not designed to, to um, they, they, they do most of the work. Like if you look at your heart, the ventricles are the majority in terms of the, the size of your heart, but without the top part, the atria, the ventricles can't really do their job as well. So if this rhythm called ventricular tachycardia, it, it, it can be a fatal rhythm. And so someone that's in this and you're not able to convert them out of it, it could lead to death. So this is one of those calls as a paramedic where it's like, hey, you know, th- this isn't just someone that fell on the floor and I got to pick them up, um, you know, or someone with a bloody nose. This is a call that that I need to use my skill set, because if I don't, there's a chance this person's heart, he could lose his pulse and he could end up dying from this. So we have to we, we have to respond aggressively to, to reverse this. So our treatment modality consists of. Of two things we we don't do surgery out in the field, but w- we do have the option of providing an electrical shock, which in this case would be called um, cardioversion. So I drew up the medications, I followed the protocol, and we started down because he was stable enough, he was he wasn't, uh, I mean, he was he was a critical patient, but our protocols um, during that time of treatment allowed us to start with the medication since we had an IV in place. and then, if that doesn't work, we had the pads on his chest so that we could shock him right away if needed. But because his his mental status was still pretty good and he was awake and he was he he seemed like he was doing okay, uh, we kind of we were like let's let's first treat this with the drugs that we have, the medicine that we have through the IV, and if this doesn't work, then we can give him the shock. Um, the shock is it's you know, it's it's painful. So you wanna ideally, you can give them something to help with that pain before you deliver the shock. Also, there's some drugs that that could potentially reverse this and you don't have to shock that person because this person's awake and he, t- he's, he was talking to us. So I was a little bit hesitant just to shock somebody that's awake and talking to us. So had the IV, we gave him the first medication. It didn't do anything. We started another medication and it didn't work either. So we called the hospital. They're like, yeah, just as long as he is um, conscious and alert, you can hold off on converting his heart with a shock, but just be ready to give that if at any time his mentation becomes compromised. And we're also watching his, his blood pressure and everything else and his respiratory rate, all these other parts of his system. So we get him, we get him loaded, we get him in the ambulance and his condition it." it started, he started to look more fatigued. He started to look tired. And, um, there was a moment where he kind of like started to, to nod off, like he was going to sleep. And I went to rouse him. His blood pressure was really low at this point. And so based on, um, I decided that we had to do the cardioversion. the drugs didn't work. And so we had to go down to the next alternative, which was to give him, the uh the shock which is called the synchronized cardio version try to convert his heart to a normal rhythm so I had another medic with me I conferred with him set up the the appropriate uh the appropriate settings on the monitor and um, <clears throat> you know did kind of warned warned him but he was also getting kind of uh you know he was getting fatigued and I don't know that his mental status was was all that great and uh, I proceeded to give him a shock, so we gave him one shock, and the protocol that we were following is like, if this doesn't work, then you have to give progressive shocks until it converts him so gave him a shock that shock certainly woke him up, and it got his attention, and uh he tolerated it very well, but uh it didn't convert his heart, so it didn't help his heart, his heart was still on the same rhythm, and um Per the protocol we're, we're going to have to start giving more shocks, and I, you know, I was kind of hesitant because I don't want to just keep shocking this person because he was awake and talking to us, his blood pressure wasn't good, his heart rhythm uh, wasn't good. So, um, I had this, so that's where this ties in. Is I had this insight is I said, Wait a second, as part of your history, we got his medications, we got his allergies, we had he did have a history of this in the past, and he said, In the past. He had to be have a um, have a doctor reverse him out of it. Um, So so uh, we had that piece. But what I didn't ask in the initial assessment was how much uh, how much if he had eaten or drinking anything during the day, or at least how much we might have just. I think we asked him what if he had uh, you know if he had eaten anything, but I didn't get in the details of how much water he drank. He's like, oh, you know, he had like one cup of water at breakfast. And it was now the afternoon. It was a hot, dry day in Arizona. And, um, you know, he had very little water. So I was like, well, you know, before we give this other shock, let's just give him a good amount of fluids through the IV and, um, see if that might help. And so we did that. And sure enough, while keeping close monitor on everything else, getting ready to provide another shock, if his, if his, um, mentation like like if he became more fatigued but the whole time he's talking to us we decided to give him this uh, uh you know a good amount of fluids we'd given some previous but i said you know what we need to give we need to be more aggressive on these fluids because he's likely dehydrated if you think about the way that the heart works is that it's kind of like a pump and if it's not getting a good amount of of uh, fluid through it like you think about like a, like a fire engine if you run out, uh, if you get a hydrant that goes dry on you, or you somehow intake air into your pump, you can cavitate that pump and cause some major problems. So a, a pump is designed to work best when it's got a good amount of pressure going into it and a good amount of volume going into it. So in his case, we bumped up the fluid, to give him a good amount of fluid through the IV, and it totally reversed him out of it. That um that ended up getting him to convert his rhythm. It might have been helpful because we had given medication also, and so it might have just been helpful that the fluid finally worked with the medication to kind of work together and create this change. But it was um, it was just one example of applying this. And so, I, if you work as an EMT or a paramedic, or just in life, is that the reason I make the capacity pyramid uh, in this 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 pyramid framework is because. You need to consider the base of this pyramid before you treat anything above. So I would say that that treating with medication would, 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 come, would come um not as a high priority as that of breath, making sure that they're they're breathing adequately and getting the best oxygen, and also their their CO2 is optimal. So make sure that they're getting the best breath, but then also make sure that they're well hydrated. And I'm gonna share with you some statistics about hydration. Uh, that I think you'll find, that you'll find um, helpful. So the blood volume is 95% water. 95% water is what the blood volume is. Your body is 60% water. I've heard from other places that it can be as high as 80% water. So the majority of our body is made up of water. 60% uh, water in the body, 95% blood consists of water. And then it says the lungs, um, the content of the lungs, not the space inside the lungs, but the contents of the lungs are 83% water and the brain is 73% water. So if you're dehydrated, uh, it can lead to major, major problems. And a lot of times you look at these, these heart arrhythmias or you look at headaches or nausea or there's, there's all these physical symptoms that sometimes medication can make a difference in as long as the person is adequately hydrated, uh, if somebody's dehydrated and all you're doing is throwing medications at them, then it's not likely that their condition is gonna improve. So uh, so my, my big takeaway was that that was just a practical application in terms of patient care, where applying the concept of the book was helpful. Now I've read through this book, I listened to the audio version of it, and I think it's helpful. I don't know that you necessarily, from my opinion, you don't necessarily have to read the book. The title of the book, um, it says everything, like basically treats everybody by drinking water. It says, You're not sick, you're thirsty, don't treat thirst with medication. And that pretty much summarizes the contents of the book because the book goes into all these different ailments and the treatment's still the same. It's got someone with GI problems, gives them water, makes it better. They got a headache, water makes it better. Kidney stones, water makes it better. Um, Chronic disease, hydration helps it. Anyway, so to put all this into to practical application is that I wanna share with you some common signs of dehydration. So a headache is a very common sign of dehydration, muscle cramps, fatigue, a foggy memory, and irritability are just some of the common signs. There's tons of others. And so if, um, you know, if you're not feeling at your best, consider the possibility that you might might be dehydrated and you might benefit from applying what I'm calling these four pillars of hydration. So the four pillars of hydration are volume, source, minerals, and vitamins. So with this capacity pyramid, we're using these four pillars of hydration in terms of how you can optimize your hydration and your wellness, uh, and your cognitive function also. So the first one is volume. So um, the biggest piece is that most people don't drink enough water. They might drink coffee or uh, soda or beer. Uh, But if you're not drinking water, you're probably going to be dehydrated at some level. Um, So the first takeaway is that you should be drinking more water. There is a number of calculations out there One that I think is a a simple one is that they say uh, an ounce of water for every pound of weight that you have. And that would be your daily consumption. Um, There's a lot of variations in terms of your climate and how active you are and things like that. But uh, a basic thing to do is to drink more water. And I've heard a common calculation is to drink an ounce of water for every pound of body weight that you have. And that's a good way to make sure that you're staying, you're staying well hydrated. Oftentimes this can be fixed by a volume issue. With my my the patient that I took care of that, that had the um the heart problem, is that we gave him more volume, and that ended up being the primary, in my opinion, the primary thing that reversed his his heart uh, so that so that at the end of when we gave him to the hospital, he's like his vital signs were great, his skin color looked great, and his mentation was great, and he's like, hey he was trying to convince us to let him go. He's like, you guys, I don't even need to be at the hospital anymore. You guys can let me go. And so when I was, when I was given the pass on report to the doctors and the nurses, they were, they were kind of like, um, uh, I don't think it's really, uh, was that really ventricular? I don't think it was really a VTAC that, that you treated showed him a picture of the printout. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty obvious. It was, the rhythm was, was it was pretty obvious what it was. So, so, uh, volume, uh, most dehydration can be impacted by volume. The next, the next pillar. Oh, in terms of volume, so you have the volume is to intake more water, and then you uh, a, a general way to judge this is by your urine output. So a guideline is you should be peeing every three hours, <clears throat> especially if you're doing like a big activity or or some type of event. Is aim to pee about every three hours, and your urine should be kind of like a, a light yellow color. You don't want it to be uh, you don't want it to be dark because dark yellow, unless you're taking a lot of B vitamins. Uh, but generally speaking, there should be you should pee about every three hours, and it should be a light yellow color as a general guideline. The next one we're talking about is the source of your water. So it's important to get water and. Um, get it from a good source. So the main the main places that you can get water from today is you can get most bottled water is comes from the process of reverse osmosis. So you look at purified water, and most most bottled water out there uses reverse osmosis as the process <clears throat> to clarify it. Um, also called it's called RO water. RO water is really good at purity. But the problem with RO water is that it strips everything out of it. It's so pure, it's like it's like drinking naked water and there's no minerals and there's no vitamins and there's nothing in that water that helps it to be absorbed by your cells or helps it to stay in the system. RO water can actually be very problematic because if it's hot and you're 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 working really hard, it can actually pull the sodium and the other electrolytes out out of your cells and out of your body and so that you can pee all these vital minerals and nutrients out of your body. So RO water is pure, but if all you're drinking is RO water, especially if it's hot, you should be adding some form of salt to it. My best recommendation is to add the pink Himalayan salt to your RO water. And that's going to help it because the pink salt, it has sodium, but it also has trace minerals that go along with it. So um, your source is really important. So there's there's purified water, which the primary the most common form is reverse osmosis. And then there's also water filters. So you can get what I use and which I recommend is this filter called a Berkey. B-E-R-K-E-Y. If you look up Berkey water filters is they use a, a, I believe it's like a carbon filter and it just drain, it uses gravity to go through this filter and it gets it 99, over 99% pure. It cleans out all the all the potential bacteria, or or viruses, or parasites, <clears throat> or toxins that could be in that water, but it leaves the minerals intact, so you can taste it. You, you if you use this filtered water through the the filters called Berkey, it still has a taste to it. You drink RO water and it tastes, um, you know, it's real clear and clean, but it's missing those those minerals, so it doesn't have much of a flavor. It it, it uh, to me, I drink it and it just tastes empty. So you got purified water, then you got filtered water by other means, and then you have the spring water. So spring water, if you have a good spring nearby you, that's the best source of water. That's the best place for you to get water um, as long as it's tested and you're confident that it's pure. You don't want the bacteria or the parasites or all the other harmful things that can come in water. But if you have a a source for spring water... (coughs) It can, it can be an excellent thing to have. It's, in my opinion, the best source of water to get. So get the right amount of volume, get the right source, which if you have a good spring, I recommend it. What I, I would recommend avoiding bottled water as much as possible. The problem with bottled water is you don't know how they transport it. And I live here in Arizona where it's hot. And if you get a pallet of bottled water and it's sitting out in the sunlight during transportation, maybe it's on a train or on a... a you know, a semi-truck that doesn't have any air conditioning. And there's no test on those bottles to see what happens to that thin plastic when it's heated to a certain temperature. So here in Arizona in the summer, it's common for it to get over a hundred degrees, especially inside of a shipping container. I'm sure it can get well over a hundred degrees inside there. And you got this plastic bottle that it begins to leach into the water. I don't know if you've ever been, if you know, especially like you go out on wildfires and some of these some of these incidents where you're out and all you have is bottled water. You drink the bottle of water and it tastes like plastic. Maybe it's been sitting out too long or it's been sitting in the sun. Don't drink water out of plastic when you can avoid it. I know it's part of the world we live in, but it's better to get a water bottle. So one of the big takeaways is to get a water bottle and keep it with you at all times um, because that's gonna ensure you that you're drinking enough volume And hopefully you can get a good source. There are some things, some bottles. There's one from Life Straw. Berkey has one also where it's a bottle that has the filter in it. So you can get regular tap water. And with that filter, it's gonna clean out the impurities out of it. So the four pillars. So volume's the first one. The next one is get the appropriate source, which is either spring water or get a good filter. I don't recommend uh, reverse osmosis water unless you're gonna add salt to it. Or other electrolytes. Side note on salt is that um, a lot of people say salt's not good because it leads to hypertension. I tend to um, I tend to disagree, is I think sodium, uh, especially in the, the 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 form of pink Himalayan salt, is one of the best nutrients and minerals that you need. And this so this is the fourth pillar. We'll get more into that um, in terms of fuel. But the fourth pillar, or I'm sorry, the third pillar is minerals. So you got volume, you got the right source, and then you have minerals. You need to have minerals, and the, oftentimes minerals come in the form of what we drink. So minerals come from the soil. Hopefully you're getting a good um, good diet where you get a lot of minerals that way. But I chose for this capacity pyramid is I chose to put the, the minerals and the vitamins under this category of drinking. Um, under the category of water. So, so the four pillars is volume, source, minerals, and vitamins. So if you look at like a lot of sports drinks that are out there, they, they add electrolytes and they add vitamins to it. B vitamins, vitamin C, zinc, a lot of the, the, these other ones. So um, the problem, I will say that most conventional sports drinks that are out there are not good for you. I'd say that Gatorade is garbage, Powerade's garbage. The problem with most conventional sports drinks is that they have a lot of sugar or artificial sweeteners and artificial colors, but they don't have the, the, the if they do have electrolytes, they don't have a good amount of what you need. So under minerals, that's where electrolytes fall under is this category of minerals. And the, the main electrolytes that you should pay attention to is sodium, potassium and magnesium are the the top three that are most common in sports drinks that you should pay attention to. Sodium, magnesium, potassium. There's also calcium and chloride are other major ones also. But sodium, magnesium, potassium are the main ones that are gonna help you uh, to optimize cellular function and to hold the water. So it's not so much how much volume you get, it's how much that your cells can uptake and use. Because as we mentioned before, your blood volume is 95% water, and you wanna make sure that that water that you consume is going to make it into your blood and it's gonna go into the cells, and it's gonna to help to keep your, your cells hydrated um, and keep that blood volume at an optimum level. Um, the other one is vitamins. So, so vitamins is the other one, is that there's, you know, there's vitamin water, which is another drink that I think isn't that great for you. But I love the concept of being able to get your vitamins and minerals by drinking them. And I think in terms of energy, that's a really great way for you to optimize your energy. And that's why with this capacity pyramid, um, I've put this as part of the four pillars of your hydration. So I encourage you to check this out. Think about it um, as you're going throughout the day. Um, before I end, I'm going to res- uh, just give you some, some resources. And then uh, I'll just cover this one more time. So the four pillars in terms of how do you put this into practical action? So number one is to make sure that you're getting enough volume of water throughout the day. So um, carry a water bottle with you and make sure that you're drinking enough so that you're peeing every three hours. A little side note here is that through your breath is a very, uh, it's ideally One other thing that's kind of on the side note is that if you can breathe through your nose primarily, as opposed to mouth breathing, then you're going to do a better job of retaining the water that you have. We lose most of our water through breathing and through breathing through our mouth. So if you're constantly breathing through your mouth, you're going to be losing a lot of water um, from the body through breathing through the mouth especially if it's hot, especially if it's dry, especially if you're at a high elevation, you lose a lot of water through our breath. We also lose it through sweating, but um, breathing is is a very common way that we lose water. So breathe through your nose, that's gonna help. Back to the pillars. Uh, volume, source, I recommend drinking spring water or go get a Berkey filter. The Berkey filters are, are a great way to clean out the water. And then minerals, so minerals, um, Pay attention to the electrolytes that you drink. I recommend uh, the electrolytes. The, the best electrolyte is to just get some pink salt and get used to adding that to your water because that has it has the sodium, but it also has the trace minerals in it. And start paying attention to the electrolyte drinks that are on the market. 90% of them that are out there are just hyped up sugar water. Most electrolyte drinks add a ton of sugar and not a lot of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. So pay attention to the electrolytes, um, to the minerals, make sure you're getting enough sodium, magnesium, potassium, and then also pay attention to the vitamins. A great way to get vitamins is that you have them as part of what you're drinking. And so um, a great way to get vitamins is to drink it. So the resources uh, that you can look more into this is... So um, the first one is Your Body's mini Cries for Water. I'd encourage you checking out that book, Your Body's Mini Cries for Water. There is also um, a book called The Salt Fix. And that one that goes into detail on how the concept of a low-sodium diet being beneficial, it debunks a lot of the science behind that. It says you actually, a lot of your problems... Uh, you know, a lot of the common medical problems in the world can be fixed by by getting more salt because salt is an essential element. So the salt fix is the name of that. And then one other book you might want to check out is a book called Quench, Q-U-E-N-C-H. And that just goes more into depth on hydration and how you can apply that. So Quench is the name of the book. And you know what, I'll put a couple other studies into the notes of this podcast also. Um, but those are the big ones, I guess the most common ones is the salt fix, your body's mini cries for water, and then quench. And again, I'll put a link to those books, and I've got some others here. Um, so that's the big thing for, so the big takeaway is that before you go to take a, uh, like, let's say you have a headache, and you you think that you need to go and take a, a Advil or some ibuprofen or a Tylenol or an aspirin, that before you do that, you may want to consider the possibility that you might be dehydrated, and that's what's causing the headache. Because Advil can work great for many things, but it, it tends to be more, if the problem is that you're dehydrated, it's not going to fix that. It's just going to mask the signal. Pain exists as a signal that something's off. If you can fix the root of that problem, then the pain is going to go away. So if you have pain or um, discomfort in your body, I would encourage you not to use medication as the first line of, uh, of correcting it. Look at this capacity pyramid and consider that maybe you need to breathe more deeply. You could go through the breathing exercises in the Wim Hof app that I recommended earlier. Maybe you need to drink some more water with the appropriate balance of electrolytes. Um, and then we'll talk about nutrition and function during the following episodes. Thank you for listening. I hope this was beneficial. Um, You can reach out to me if you want a copy of this framework. I've got a visual of this framework. And then the goal with all these recordings is to to create this book called The Capacity Pyramid. So that should be out within, You know, the goal is to finish it. Actually, the goal is to finish it by the time I did the 100 mile run. And I don't have it finished yet, but it's still a work in progress to have that complete. And um, the end result of this will be a book. And I'm happy to share that with you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you as a listener. If you haven't subscribed, uh, please hit the, the subscribe button and I appreciate any feedback that you have. Thank you.